Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. We do have We've got, got mail. So much mail. My name is William DeBiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. For the purposes of this particular podcast, you may, if you wish, call me Rockmeister McCool. Mm-hmm. But you needn't. All I got is Bibbs. You win. My name is Bibbs. Yeah, I just did yeah, that, didn't said I? That part. Anyway, here's this, this is our letters podcast. This uh, is your podcast. Just once a Dear wanna, listeners. Just once I want to record before we're exhausted. Anyway. <laughs> nope, uh, we, we, that's that's kind of our shtick. That's now. our brand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's will, t- will I fall asleep on podcast again? I've done it before. <laughs> let's tune into <laughs> The Tired Guys. <laughs> really takes a lot of the edge off that anyway well, uh it's, it's like the yeah, the, what, what, the really calming morning drive time npr like this is npr news thank you for tuning in uh, there was a terrible disaster somewhere in the world today many people died like they have that really relaxing yeah. voice yeah a little too relaxing yeah. yeah that that's us just you know it's the end of the day it's like thanks for tuning in to see our letters episode we're gonna read <laughs> your letters uh, we have Frank a- Capra quite interesting <laughs> <laughs> snork snark Frank Capra uh this is our uh, letters podcast. You can write into our email address. William, what is our email address? Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is. is our P.O. box? Send us an actual physical letter. We like those. We'll crinkle the paper on mic just so uh, you, you know we got it. Mm. Uh, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network. P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. And uh, this is your show. You can ask us anything you want. Uh, feel free to uh, take us to task if we made a mistake on a previous podcast. Stranger things have happened. Uh, we recently did an episode of The Iron List where we talk about the best legal thrillers. If anyone wants to share their favorites that we may have missed. We would love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, basically, the floor is yours. Feel free to talk about anything you want or force us to talk about anything you want. You can force me to do nothing. No, but I'll read it. Whitney, I'm going to force you to read this first email. So who is this uh, first email This from? first email is from B. Peterson. Oh, hi, um, B. Who, who requested I read this last week, and I was a dingbat. Yep. Uh, I will say that on mic openly in front of everybody. I was dingbat. Language. Because Language I is what you just used to express yourself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, fucking dingbat. Thank you. And uh, and uh, now I'm getting around to it. So okay. better, better Apologies. late. Apologies. Apologies. Better late than never. Question mark. Yeah. Uh, Dear Cinnamon and the Fiendish Dr. Zoltan. That is a deep uh, cut. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a pilot I wrote a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, I guess it was an idea I pitched. I didn't really yeah, write it. It was, it was going to be like a web series where you were a mad scientist and I was your like Tor Johnson esque well, sidekick, and it, I was it, named Cinnamon for some reason. Cinnamon, yeah. And you were going to wear wear a vest and just grunt a lot. Yeah. And I had like undead cheerleader sidekicks, and then yeah. the mayor of Deadsville was going to come over. That'd and be the, a cool. The show. mayor was going to be I'm played not, by a Mark Edward Hoyk. Everybody agreed I, to do I, this. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not, I wasn't exactly flattered to be Cinnamon, but I would have done it. I, I asked you if you wanted to, and you said yeah. At the time. So, I was so I was I was honored that you would ask, but in retrospect, I think I would have I would have wanted a different role. Yeah. All right, <laughs> but in any case, but the the, the idea was it, it wasn't just like a sitcom. We were going to be horror hosts. Yeah, we were going to like introduce a movie and you could watch oh, it on YouTube we, and then watch. We would the have movie. been like Sven Gulli. It would have been yeah, great. It's, uh, it's you know, that's the dream. I would, I, I, I would I want, kill to be. Sven I wanted Gulli. to be a horror host. I liked that I scene, still so I came up host. with this whole thing. If anyone wants to hire us, cheap way to like actually like build like a, a little miniature set and get all the beakers if, if, any, if anyone knows like a small town television station that's looking for a horror host like we'll move <laughs> <laughs> we will do Some it or in alberta will do it nice dear cinnamon and the fiendish doctors old back man. to the letter uh yeah we'll put this off long enough hear me out uh for i have a theory that could potentially revolutionize cinema uh, instead of a regular theater, you're in a giant dome-like room with no lights, walled with 7,080 blank tiles, which cover large speakers. You enter okay. via a door in the floor. Mm. So you're, like, inside a giant golf ball. Wasn't that a Richard Gere movie, The Door in the Floor? The, uh, wasn't that a, a Stephen King movie? No, I feel like that was, like... Oh, no, I'm thinking of Secret Window. No, uh, no, Door in the Floor. I'm gonna look it up. All right. Uh, in this room, there are 7,080 projectors, each projecting on us. Uh, projecting a screen onto their respective tile in the room and uh, with a sound connection with a speaker behind it. Being shown on each screen is... Terrence Jeff Bridges and Kim Basinger. There you go. All right, my bad. It was a John Irving novel. All right. Being shown on each one of these screens on the interior of this gigantic golf ball kind right. of scenario is Terrence Malick's masterpiece, Knight of Cups. Oh, oh. Uh, with each projection offset by one second from the last so that on the... Se- 
7,080 screens at any given time, each second of the film will be visible or audible somewhere in the dome. Now, if my theory is correct, a Knight of Cups can indeed slow down the passage of time to a near standstill, <laughs> not sure if that's a compliment or not, yes. uh, then the effect will be compounded, and one could theoretically live forever as if they chose to stay in the dome in an aesthetic immortality. Am I crazy? Is there a film that you would like to see presented in this format? Discuss. Thank you, and see you in the next one. B. Peterson. Uh, the Knight of Cups theory stems from a Terrence Malick film called Knight of Cups. Uh, Terrence Malick is a filmmaker who has made some of, and I, I don't think this is an exaggeration, at least some of the better movies ever made. Uh, the Tree of Life, Badlands, Days of Heaven, probably The Thin Red Line, and uh, I think you in particular would go to bat for, uh, is it Hidden Life? Uh, Hidden Life is great, yeah. 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 You like it more than I do, but it's really great. Um, he's also made some real turds. Uh, so he went through this weird, long, decades-long period where he did almost nothing. Mm. He did like some script rewrites here and there, but he directed no movies after doing two, two of the best movies of the 70s. And he came back in the late 90s. Yep, same year Saving Private Ryan came out. He came out with a fantastic World War II film called The Thin Red Line. Uh, and then after that, he he he... Didn't work like super consistently, but he'd churn out a movie every few years, mm. which was pretty good for Terrence Malick. Like we didn't used to get them that often, so I'll it's take that, one every like, three or four years. It's, it's you know? like Steven Soderbergh for Terrence Malick. Yeah, like that was pretty good. And then for whatever reason, in the 2010s, he hit like a stride and just kept churning them out. Mm. And he did uh, the Tree of Life was one of the best movies ever made. Uh, he did I forget which order it was. He did a Night of Cups and Song to Song. Like Night of right Cups back was to back. first, and yeah. that song to song was right out, like within yeah. less than a year of each other. I think they might have been even shot simultaneously at times. Um, those movies are bad. Those it's bad so, movies. Song to song's fine. Song I didn't, song I didn't is, see Night of Cups. Song though. to song is a coherent narrative. Uh-huh. That's about as far as I'm willing to go with song to song. <laughs> Night of Cups, I cannot say that. And it's not like... Oh, what was that, uh, Ben? To the Wonder. He also did To the Wonder. I, that I, I like and that's To the a Wonder good movie. as well, yeah. That's a good movie. To, people, uh, right after uh, yeah. Tree of Life, he did To the Wonder like yeah. two years later. And people people gave it crap because they thought it was too similar to Tree of Life. And like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, he's, he's a brilliant filmmaker making variations on a theme. He's just being, like, providing you elation again it, oh, in the same way. Poor, well, oh, yeah. what a nightmare. Like, but, and unfortunately that movie didn't do well. And he jumped mm. into these two smaller uh, projects with really big casts. Um... And Song to Song is about uh, the music scene. And some of it was shot at, like, like South the, by like Southwest. The concert and, scene. Yeah, yeah, like, the music industry. And uh, Night of Cups was about ostensibly Hollywood types, but it's mostly people walking around thinking about disconnected things. And it's but, interminable. But, 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 but sounds fine. That's, that's what Richard Linklater movies tend to be about yeah, sometimes. No, but, but, those, but those movies tend to be connected in a way that makes sense that you're watching them all together maybe they're disparate but there is at least some reason they're all in the same movie when it comes to Night of Cups it's just kind of obtuse for its own purposes um, it's definitely about someone who's got his head up his own butt like that's the protagonist of the film but uh, there's no great depth there there's just empty pathos and Honestly, I think it's his worst film. I think it is a, a very difficult film to sort of sit through, just because after a while it's like, I, I, I get it. I see <laughs> what you're doing. You're, you're not, you're not expanding your point. You're I'm not, I'm not allu it. You're not illuminating anything. I'm not coming to any greater understanding about the characters or the universe. Uh, this feels like you had a bunch of footage and put it together. Um and that was the end, end all be all of it. I'm sure he had great ambition. The movie doesn't work. So the idea of being trapped in like a universe of Knight of Cups where every single thing you see is Knight of Cups, but every single frame is represented simultaneously and it is all traveling in order and everywhere you go is Knight of Cups sounds like... A, sounds like a Harlan Ellison story, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like just this weird, oblique well, media well, nightmare? Well, be asked if if like being inside this media nightmare would somehow slow down time, uh, and you would just be there eternally. I think you'd just be bored eternally, which feels like the slowing which, down of time, which, but I don't yeah. think it literally is, though. I, I know that's uh, an, an effect of being high. It's like the, a weird... 
mm. change in the way you perceive time. It, it just sort of... Yeah, it can be. All right. Yeah, but it's, it's a listen change time. You're well, just, well, I mean, perception of time. time. We just made up time. Time is yeah, just kinda, an idea, yeah. but... Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, the way you perceive it can change, then time itself does change. I mean, that's that's the basic mm. concept of relativity, but mm-hmm. it's also... Yeah. Mm. Um, listen, I'm going to say this right now. I would like to ask any of our listeners, especially the billionaires with a lot of money to spend, you know who you are. <laughs> let's try it. We, we have a lot of billionaires listening let's to pull, us. Let's do the Knight of Cups experiment, and let's try to actually, like, halt time... Through the exclusive use of Terrence Malick's Knight of Cups, the only real problem is tracking how many. How many was it? Was it like fourteen thousand? It's a, a couple thousand. That's a lot. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just. You can look it up and get the right number. Let's say fourteen thousand screens, give or take. All right. Good luck finding that many DVDs of Knight of Cups. Well, you get little tiny digital projectors. You don't need that many DVDs of it. But you're gonna need each one playing separately. Yeah, just get so that you're going to need get, that many DVDs. You're going to need that many projectors. Yes, and, and DVDs to show on those projectors. No, you can you can you can't set, use the same DVD for each one. But you can probably you can just get a different video file for each one. Dude, I'm not getting. You don't that. need a physical media for this kind of project. I think, there, I I think, think that's there's a, a limit to how many screens you're allowed to use your Amazon Prime membership on. <laughs> so either way, you still need thousands of Amazon Prime memberships. Oh man, can I borrow like five thousand passwords? <laughs> To get Knight of Cups up at the same time, um, uh, yeah. I, uh, I, at my old uh, theater job at the New Art, uh, back uh, which I worked worked there for like thirteen years. Um, after hours, one of my coworkers, a, a very uh, creative young man named Andy, mm. uh, we did our music, didn't he? He did our he did our yeah. theme song. Uh, he uh, was able to. Get Not the two- B Movies podcast, the other one, the Cancel Too Soon song. By the, the way, yeah, yeah just uh, credit where credit is due. Yeah. But uh, we got this ad uh, that we really hated. Mm. Just it was about uh, it was a travel ad of some kind, yeah. and uh, there was a, a clip of a this middle aged guy saying, "This is the best Thai food I've ever had," like in this mm-hmm. sort of East Coast accent. Yeah. And we got multiple copies of this ad on thirty five millimeter film. I don't know why we're mm-hmm. not going to run it multiple times. We have one screen. It's one screen theater. Yeah. Uh, so what he did is he laid two strips of the same ad over each other, mm-hmm. which I think were f- like maybe six frames removed from each other. Okay. And then he'd run them th- layered together. He'd run a loop <laughs> of just the one line of him saying, this is the best Thai food I've ever had. <laughs> uh, but what he did is he, he like laid them together and then he made one loop. I think uh, what he did was he made one loop uh, six frames smaller than the other. So they run through the projector and they'd eventually start falling out of sync. So it's like the kind of <laughs> double, double thing. This is the best two five foot. This is the best. And it's, like it's, it's an experimental short. So this kind of experimental short. And he and I watched that for 30 minutes <laughs> before it came back around and synced up again. Oh my God. That was a really fascinating experiment. That's that was cool. like a really cool, like, I wish I could like recommend that film experience. It was just something we was doing in his time to dick, dick around. <laughs> So I've seen some interesting th- things that's, done with projectors. That's like, do you remember when DVD players had, uh, I mean, they might still, but uh, they had uh, screensavers. So like if your TV was on for too long oh, yeah, without yeah. anything happening, they would go to a black screen so there wouldn't be a burn-in, which was more of an issue back when we had everyone had cathode ray TVs. It still happens with flat screens, too. still could but, happen, yeah. but it was a real serious issue with cathode rays. Um, but there were the, the DVD... Uh, a lot of the DVD uh, uh, screensavers mm. were a black screen with the DVD logo, DVD kind of, little kind of disc in the b- bottom, bouncing around, and it was bounced yeah. from corner to corner to screen. And I, 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 I know I'm not alone on this. I've had conversations with people. I have in my weaker moments just watched that screensaver, waiting for it to perfectly hit the corner, <laughs> just going at 45 degrees. And yeah, just back yeah, like degrees. like not not just like just bounce off the corner and then hit the other corner, like carry them off of it like a billiard ball. Like no, just boom the corner. It does happen. It is not easy to get I, to it, but I, it will happen if you're patient. Uh, okay, I uh, I I never waited. I okay. I didn't care to see it. That I didn't have that that thing yeah uh, uh by the way uh, so some of those ex- yeah. weird experimental media mm. things are fun to do uh we got to um 
when you get a digital projector, you can actually, and this actually goes back to the Knight of Cups thing, you can line up a file to play repeatedly. Mm-hmm. You can have one file and just run it uh, on sort of like a little schedule you can set up yeah. for a digital projector so you can do things automatically. And uh, before the Rocky Horror Picture Show, when, when it converted to digital, we had a digital file of the our feature presentation that you see at the beginning of Kill Bill. And we'd play that once and then we'd show the Rocky Horror Picture right. Show. Uh, just for funsies one night when yeah. I was projecting, I, remember you told I, uh, I lined up six of those in a row. <laughs> So yeah, da 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 da. Everybody's waiting for it, and then it starts again. Da 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 da. Oh, I messed up. Third time. Da da da. I start. People start. By the time it's the fourth time, people have already lost their fucking minds. Right. And uh, and by the time you get to six, it's just bedlam in the theater. People are screaming and tearing down the carpet on the walls. <laughs> then the movie begins, and they don't know what to do. Um, by the way, speaking of experimental film, B. Peterson uh, mm. has just completed... I haven't had a chance to watch it all yet, mm. but they included a new project where they turned the three-hour movie The Batman into like an hour-and-a-half silent film. Mm. It's called The Batman Silent Night, and uh, you should follow them on Twitter, and you can uh, you can check that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They are at Blue Gray Closet, so that's right. definitely want to... Uh, you can find the link pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's move on. That's, right. a, that's an interesting experiment, and again, if anyone has a billion dollars, let's do it. Let's stop yeah. time together. <laughs> Uh, see, th- this is how you know billionaires aren't interesting people. Yeah. Because then we'd have this already. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to go to space. We've been to space. Have we done the Knight of Cups experiment? Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to use my billion dollars to change laws to keep billions of dollars. Build a robot dinosaur, you fucker. We, we, we've had a robot dinosaur. Build, build one you ride around town on. Okay, yes, that's a good point. Moving on. <laughs> all right. Here's a letter from Ryan. Uh, hey, guys. Hope Hello. all is well. On a recent mailbag episode, a listener asked about asexual representation in film. Yep. And you guys listed a few good examples. I wanted to add one. Mm. I've seen positive ace representation, uh, uh, positive ace response to online, and that's Warren Beatty as Clyde Barrow. Interesting. In the 1967 classic Bonnie and Clyde. Huh. A romantic asexual, but yeah, I can take Romant- see that. You know, they're pretty flirty with each other. Anyway, but that's romantic asexual. Throughout the movie, Clyde repeatedly turns down Bonnie's sexual advances and even seems confused by them. And although it could be read as impotence or closeted homosexuality, I think it can be read as asexuality too. I'm not ace myself, so I can only recommend this so much, but having my own sexuality struggles, I always found Clyde a fascinating character, mm. and I hope this helps someone out there. Best wishes, Ryan. Yeah, we were talking about that. Funnily enough, this is actually just before uh, I officially uh, came out as Grace Sexual, uh, which uh, I talked about on a recent Letters mm. episode as well, and it's something I had been thinking about for a bit as I was coming to terms with this part of myself, and... Yeah, there aren't a lot of asexual characters who are frankly asexual. Well, like, actually talk you, about use it. the term, or, yeah. Yeah, but there are a lot of characters who behave in such a way that you look at them and go, like, this, clearly Bonnie and Clyde, like, at the time, mm. there wasn't really a lot of conversation about asexuality as yeah. an identity, so he wouldn't have known probably to even talk about that, but there are, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I mean, mm-hmm. or he might've been gray sexual. So you said, you mentioned that he's romantic with Bonnie and you know, gray sexuality is on the spectrum of asexuality. doesn't mean he's never been interested. doesn't mean he has no interest whatsoever. It just means it's very muted or only briefly or only occasionally or whatever. So, that might work. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Bonnie and Clyde in a little while, actually. I'll, next time I'll watch it, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. look at it with that lens. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, because the term is, uh, just in terms of cinema history, yeah. uh, new. It's Relatively not, not new, mentioned yeah. on screen ever. I, I, the more I've been thinking about it, the more I think Henry Higgins is actually a really great example. That one came... Because, did um, someone bring that up after our podcast? I think someone like, tweeted no, us I, about I, that. No, I, I brought that up. Okay, um, yeah. But yeah, Henry Higgins from My Fair Lady, mm. uh, when he falls in love, he doesn't say, I'm in love, and he doesn't declare his like right. romantic feelings. He says, I've grown accustomed to her face. Uh, like, he, he sort of uh, isn't responding to Eliza Doolittle in a sexual or even necessarily a romantic way, but he seems to be uh, experiencing a kind of longing that he doesn't really know how to process. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's a good... Uh, Example of sort of like an asexual response to getting, you know, to a, a relationship. Yeah. 
Like he he doesn't doesn't want to throw throw her down in the bedroom, but he mm-hmm. wants he's grown accustomed to her face. I, I'm trying to remember if we mentioned because uh, we actually recently did a, a really fun podcast called The Incinerator, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, we were given uh, we we came up with a list of the greatest spoof movies ever made, and one by one we picked a film to throw into the incinerator of history so that only one erased, would survive. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we talked about a lot of great spoof movies in that in that podcast, and one that we defended that most people do not uh, is the 1960s version of Casino Royale. That's a great movie. Uh, which is about asexuality. <laughs> it is about mm. how these swinging 60s uh, were oh, leaving oversexed time. Were, were so oversexed that they were leaving swinging spies open to being murdered by uh, uh, basically sexy villains. So uh, they had to recruit David Niven, the original James Bond, uh, and he's able to save the day because he's not interested in sex, and he has to train other spies who are not interested in sex or can be taught to be uninterested in sex and sort of put on asexuality Mm. as part of their cover. Uh, That's ahead of its time. Uh, People were not ready to have that talk. And it's clearly a send-up of the over-sexualization of James Bond. That's Uh, what they're spoofing in that movie. Uh, but it's also, yeah, just sort of legit asexuality. And David Niven is clearly playing an asexual character. Mm-hmm. Not not a character who is, you know, proper and will only do it under certain certain circumstances. He has no interest. Yeah, he has a daughter, but one gets the impression that I was maybe younger when he wasn't sure of himself. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a whole extended sequence where he's in a house full of sexy women who are all trying to have sex with him. And it's just him being completely... Mm-hmm. Like oblivious or disinterested in all of it, yeah, and he's yeah. just like, "Can we please have tea?" <laughs> <laughs> like, um. So yeah, that's again. I'll, I'll have to check out Bonnie and Clyde again through that lens. I haven't yeah, watched that movie in quite a few years. Um, I, I I saw it as being incredibly romantic and sexual at the time, but mm-hmm. yeah, there, maybe there's a lot I was missing. Maybe. Um, Here's our next letter. It comes, okay. This one comes from Ian. Hello, Ian. Hi, Ian. Um, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. Uh, hope you're both fine and enjoying the summer weather. Uh, it's <laughs> no. jack, jackknifing around around here. Uh, it's, it's today like, it's today like this, was brutally it's like hot, a, There's actually. like a one, one day heat wave, and then it's really overcast the rest of the time. Mm. Um, admittedly, I don't know what the weather is like in Los Angeles at the moment. Oh, mm, we just well, said. We just said. Uh, <laughs> but whatever it is, I hope you're enjoying it. Not that long ago, you read out a letter from a British bloke who mentioned that he was going to see Satan Tango in London ah, on a big screen, that's remember? Cool. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. I also live in England, and I, it really pricked up my ears at this. So I live not that far from London, and Satan Tango is one of my favorite films. Ooh. I've seen it about four times on DVD. Uh, watching it four times on DVD, that takes like three weeks. That's a long time. Uh, it's seven and a half hours. It's a very long film. Yeah. It's a long. Uh, admittedly, more never, than a day. never in one sitting, though. I ah. did some research, and yes, this last Sunday I spent over eight hours in a tiny but wonderful art cinema called Close Up, just off Brick Lane in the London East End. Nice. It was fantastic as expected. I can hard, I can hardly believe that I've now seen this film on the big screen, surrounded by about two dozens of like-minded people. Wow. I wonder if the guy who wrote you was. Also in the audience. Maybe. Uh, basically, my heartfelt thanks to this person and to you two, because without listening to your wonderful podcast, I would never have known about this showing and about this brilliant <laughs> cinema. I'm going again. Oh, yes, I will. Uh, this month, they are also showing Henneke's The White Ribbon. Wow. Uh, Robert Brisson's Pickpocket. Wow. The Safdie Brothers' Good Time. Wow. Lars Muncher's Melancholia. And to top it all off, Tarkovsky's Stalker. Whitney, oh, do you secretly golly. run a movie theater in England? Shh. That is it's, so fucking <laughs> you. That's Amazing. Uh, just here in Los Angeles, uh, the American Cinematheque just had a uh, oh yeah a, a series that they called Bleak Week. Yeah, and it was a week of films of like the most depressing things you could possibly see. Like I a, wonder a Lynn the, Ramsey double feature. I wonder how many tickets uh, they sell to Bleak Week. Uh, probably a lot. I, I understand yeah. it's sold out. Yeah, they, and, really and they also, that, I'm glad to hear it. They I'm also did Satan price. Tango, and uh, okay. I, I really wanted to see Satan Tango on the big screen. I yeah. never got around to it. Oh, man, I'm sorry. It'll come around again. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I can hardly wait, so once again, thank you very much. I love you guys. Uh, speaking of Satan Tango, mm. do you know and or like other films by Belatar? Are you familiar with Hungarian cinema? I would clear, I would dearly love for you to take on, say, Miklos Yangshow, Istvan Shabo, Zoltan Husharek, and say... Uh, 
Ildiko and, and Yeti. I don't know that last one. Ah. Uh, as for me, I am deeply interested in Eastern Europe, especially Hungarian, Romanian, Czech, and Soviet Russian cinema, and I value your opinions about movies, and not just movies. Uh, do you like huge, bleak, medieval Eastern European epics? <laughs> Again, I, let me introduce you to Whitney Seibold. Yeah, yes, please. That's uh, like, very, you're describing his... Like, uh, like if, he, un- if he still had a Tinder page, <laughs> this would be what's on it. Well, no, I never, I've never had a Tinder page. Well, my point yeah, is, if you is, did, this yeah. would be on it. Uh, do you like films like Andrei Rublev or Hard to Be a God and like Marketa Lazarova? I've seen Marketa Lazarova. I think it's an Icelandic movie. Um, these are some of my absolute favorites seen many times. There are so few people I can share my love for this kind of cinema, though. I just wanted to finish that I've been listening to you since, oh, I don't know, 2016 or even before. Oh, wow. my goodness. Without your voices and your oral presence, life would not would be much more unpleasant. I can't, I can oh. assure you. Anyway, thank you. For, uh, enough of my gushing. Have a lovely lovely day, and thank you, yours, Ian. So that is incredibly kind over of you. that one a little bit. Thank you, Ian. Um, that's, that's incredibly kind of you, yeah. and we're very, very grateful for those words. And um, thank you for joining us. Uh, almost every single thing in your email... Mm-hmm. Was directed at Whitney. Uh, I, I it's not that I I actually have seen some Hungarian films and I've liked some Hungarian mm-hmm. films. Uh, uh, I think White God was Hungarian, if memory serves. Uh, oh, the the dog movie. Yeah, wasn't White God Hungarian? I believe so. Yeah, uh, I watched this interesting film uh, a couple years ago called Ruben Brandt Collector. It was kind of a neat hmm. uh, art heist animated film memory serves that was hungarian um i'll give it a thanks see if i can remember anything else in particular um but when it comes to bleak cinema whitney is the guy whitney and dave white over at linoleum knife which is a podcast if you like our podcast listen to them too uh they're really wonderful film critics and funny guys uh but dave white also really loves bleak cinema uh whitney talk a bit about bleak cinema will you <laughs> uh i mean it's it's not like a genre unto itself. It's just uh, kind of is. I guess if you're having a bleak week uh, yeah. at, at the Cinematheque, but it's those a, are, maybe 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 those are movies from all, all over the world, and they're all from all different uh, times yeah. in history. It's just a, a certain type of movie that explores mm. uh, you know despair, uh, sadness, and depression. Uh, a, a world where hope is not achievable. And uh, sometimes when you're in your darker states, the world can feel like that. And I think it's nice to have a handshake waiting for you when you're in that kind of a mood. Uh, as for uh, Bellatar specifically, I've only seen three ba- or two Bellatar movies. Oh. I've seen uh, Verkmeister Harmonies, mm-hmm. and I've seen The Turin Horse, um, right. which uh, I think was his last... I think it was his last movie, The Turin Horse. Mm. Uh, and The Turin Horse is about... Uh, if if you don't know what the turn horse refers to, um, it refers to the horse uh, in in Turin mm. that was being whipped in the street. It had fallen over and it was being whipped by its owner. Mm. This is supposedly a true story. When uh, none other than Friedrich Nietzsche came walking by, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, you know, known for uh, you know, his his er- early uh, existentialist sort of philosophies, he believed in a philosophy of the self talked about the will to power right uh there are there's nothing ascetic about the world there's nothing supernatural there is just you work on yourself and you might call that self-esteem but uh think of like a sort of a stronger use of language than just mere self-esteem it is about realizing your power you are going to be better than others he believed in sort of superiority um but not in domination specifically it was just about being strong and uh, he talked about uh, the Ubermensch, the Overman. That's where we get the term Superman from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also, uh, his philosophies were also really uh, grievously and kind of intentionally misinterpreted by the Third Reich. Yeah. This idea of a superior person led to uh, Adolf Hitler mm-hmm. talking about how, oh, well, if there's a superior person, then surely there's a superior peoples, a superior nation, a mm-hmm. superior race that... And that superiority denotes our right to dominate other people. None of that is part of Nietzsche's philosophy. Right. Uh, Nietzsche was walking down the street when he saw this horse being whipped in Turin. And he fell to his knees, hugging the horse, trying to defend it. Mm. And it was in that moment that he snapped. He went mad. Never wrote a word after that. And in fact, spent the rest of his life in an asylum. Oh. Uh, I think the last decade of his life was spent in an asylum. Uh, 
the turn horse is about the horse. Well, after it gets up, after yeah. after Nietzsche hugged it, it gets up and where does it go? And it goes out to this really uh, sort of bleak village where this older couple couple is living, and the the winds are picking up, and the you know sort of dirt blowing through the air is pervasive throughout the Turin horse. And then by the end of the movie, it just sort of blots out the sunlight, and that's kind of the end of the film. The world more or less ends in that movie. Hmm. Uh, it's excellent. It's really, really cool uh, watching these people <laughs> struggle in this sort of deathscape for a long time. Uh, people like to watch post-apocalypse movies. Sure. Watch something like, you know, uh, The Omega Man or, or also I Am Legend, same story. Yeah. Where, you know, the, everybody's dead, but now there's just like vampires or ghouls around. And, and uh, there's one guy left trying to sort of like solve a mystery as a, a, mm-hmm. a quest. Yeah. He's sort of... Uh, trashing you know trashing department stores and just taking stuff for his own yeah and there's sort of there's two appealing things about that kind of post-apocalypse story what, what one, do you think there one is uh the hope of the protagonist yeah the he's idea that solve you... something he has a quest yeah. yeah okay and once he solves it uh either the audience will simply know about what happened at the very least mm-hmm. uh or at the most he'll somehow like restore something about the world mm-hmm. uh, maybe he'll even like undo some of the damage that has been done uh, the other thing is your own end of the world fantasy, being yeah. alone. And uh, I, there was a really great bit on Mystery Science Theater where they talked about what would you do if you were alone on Earth? And, oh, yeah. Like, and, uh, the, Crow, the, the, what, what do you do after the apocalypse? Yeah, and, and Crow T. Robot said, I'm going to put on a suit of armor and just throw myself through plate glass windows. Yeah. And that's hilarious because that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, and I remember Tom Servo said, I would stop feeling self conscious about renting films like Turner and Hooch and Three Men and a Little Lady. <laughs> Uh, here's the thing with that post-apocalyptic. You, you, you make excellent points. I think there are other a few other elements to it. I think inherent in most post-apocalyptic movies, I think the actual post-apocalyptic movie mm. would be nothing but landscape shots of, of a dead planet. Wouldn't that be great? But in actuality, yeah. m- most post-apocalyptic movies are about people who survive. Mm. There's an element of hope to it. The yeah, idea yeah. that society, or at least people will live on even after we destroy ourselves and that there will be some semblance of hope. I think this is one of the reasons why the movie The Road uh, tends to freak people out is because it's basically just saying, no. There's no coming back (laughs) Like There might be like a brief period after where not everyone is dead, but then they will be dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, But most like the Mad Maxes or whatever like that, there's an element of hope to it. There will be something worth fighting for. There will be a chance to rebuild. And the fundamental fantasy, which is, you, you alluded to it, um... Some people will survive the apocalypse, and I'll probably be one of them. Yeah, and be yeah. very badass. It's it, it's the Lord of the Wasteland fantasy. I, yeah. I want the world to end so I can be the survivor, and that and with no rules, with the laws all undone, uh, everything is now permissible. So it's it's just hedonism fantasy, really. Yeah. Um, they're offering you hope. They're offering you succor. They're offering yeah. you comfort. That even in the bleakest of circumstances, there will be a glimmer. Uh, this has been sort of the operational ethos of most American cinema since the start. They're here to elate you in some way, to uplift you in some way, uh, to, to make you feel, maybe make you think about something. Sure. Rarely to reach out to you and push you away. Mm-hmm. To do the opposite of comfort you. Mm-hmm. To rattle you, to disturb you. To offer you a world of no hope Mm -hmm. and how that is actually excitingly tantalizing in an artistic landscape that in its blander moments offers us nothing but comfort and excitement. No, I think it's fair to say Uh, that the vast majority of media is trying to keep Mm. us from feeling that bleakness. Mm. And so when you, when you run into a, a film or a filmmaker who repeatedly visits these sorts of things, it's incredibly exciting. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, of all things, the Pixar film Inside Out, uh, where mm. we spend a lot of time in human heads and we get to see personifications of their emotions. And their, their emotions are represented by five basic states. Uh, joy, sadness, mm. uh, disgust, fear, and anger. Yeah. Um, within each person, a different emotion is in charge. 
We get uh, yeah. when we're in the the head of an eleven year old girl. Joy is fighting to retain control, but sadness is invading. Yeah, we cut into the head of the mom. Sadness is in control. Mm-hmm. We cut into the head of the father. Anger is in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the point of that movie is that we cannot live by just one experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like this amalgam, and the the, the cathartic moment in Inside Out is when bittersweet is invented in the head of somebody or something yeah. joyous and sad at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel I, like I rem- each I, I, one of those beings yeah. to, to use the inside out terminology needs to be placated in some way. You need sure. to see a film that makes you angry. Yeah. You need to film, see a film that makes you scared. Uh, I occasionally love to see a film that disgusts me. Sure. Uh, you need to see a film that makes you feel joy and you definitely, definitely need films that make you feel sad. I, I, I'm reminded I interviewed uh, Pete Doctor when yeah. that movie came out and I asked him... Um, no logic, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> he actually said there was an early version where there was going to be a character who represented logic, but like the, the second like emotionless, yeah, yeah, but well, just the person who was—he was basically the one in charge. He was basically just like, okay, everybody, it's, your emotions are in, but we need to we need to keep cool and we need to actually just go about our day. And like the second the plot kicked in, they were literally going to throw logic out of a window. That's really cute. <laughs> and then they eventually realized they just didn't just, need yeah. it. It was, it was taking too long. But uh, well, well said, Whitney. It's still not my favorite a particular kind of cinema yeah uh perhaps because it does what it does too well hmm. but well said celebration okay. of bleak um, cinema uh istvan shabov have you've seen istvan shabov films right like mephisto i don't think i have actually yeah, okay yeah 1981 istvan shabov made a film called mephisto i saw a really great hmm. uh, istvan shabov film called sunshine in 1999 mm. oh not, not that to was confused one... with the danny boyle film oh, i was um, confusing with the uh ray fines movie that, no that it is the ray fines oh, movie oh 99 is it 89 uh no 99 Maybe I said I apologize. Oh no! In '99, he made a a film with Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes played three generations of uh, of characters, like three generations of men over the course of World War II. He had to change his name and change his identity to survive. Uh, It's it's a really good movie. Not so uh, bleak. I mean, there's some. It's about World War II. It's all of the the horrors of that time. Mm But yeah, that's not like a film specifically about sadness and depression. Yeah, uh, I saw really speaking of disgusting movies, uh, a movie from the early two thousands from Hungary called Taxidermia. Oh, that uh, sounds fun. <laughs> and that sounds like a treat. And uh, it's it's also about sort of three generations of men in Hungary um, hmm. throughout history. The first, um, what it's 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 pretty frank about bodily functions and sex mm. and things so uh, he like lives on a farm and is constantly sneaking off to self-gratify and uh, when, when he climaxes fire comes out that oh, sort of thing you should get that looked at not like literal fire you should uh, get not, that not just at. burning yeah. uh, the next generation uh, they're c- it's about a competitive eater who uh, like overeats for a living mm. and how uh, he talks about how when he overeats chambers in his body open up like he feels alive when he's overeating and then we fast forward to when that character is an old man and his uh, younger son I believe mm. uh, has become a taxidermist and uh, something really horrible happens to them um, oh dear yeah taxidermia is, is pretty exhilarating as well nice Oh, we should well, move on, but right. uh, thank you for this, and thank you for this conversation, and thank you for giving Whitney an opportunity to talk about one of his favorite things. <laughs> just uh, sad movies. Yeah, people don't talk about them enough, mm-hmm. just in general. So, thank uh, you. Uh, here's an episode, uh, an episode, Ooh, a, uh, <laughs> an installment. A letter from Canadian Keith. Hello, oh, Canadian hi, Canadian Keith. Keith. Um, gentlemen, on May 21st, 2021, you released your most recent episode of Episode Zero. At the end of the episode, you announced that the next one would be the penultimate episode, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. I figured life must have gotten busy for you, and episode zero is pushed to the back burner, but I was curious if you still plan to come back to it to finish the season off, or if you consider it complete as is. Thank you for your time, Canadian Keith. Uh, okay, so episode zero is a show that we introduced a couple of years ago, uh, and the I still like the idea, uh, was we were looking at the prehistory of incredibly popular things. Because no movie, unless except maybe the very first one, and even then, uh, exists in a vacuum. They're all influenced by that which came before. And we spent 20 whole episodes talking about a variety of really disparate and interesting films that had a direct influence on Star Wars. Especially the first film, but also other films in the series. 
when that was done, we decided to do the same thing with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. Uh, and we did. And then we hit, I think about a, we, we, it became like another thing where like we just bit off more than we could chew. We had way too much in the, in the chamber. And we were intending to do two more episodes. And then we didn't, mm. obviously. Uh, mostly because we ran out of time, but also I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, I felt like we, we kind of covered most of it, and while it would have been nice to talk about a couple more things, hmm. well, we, we, we kind of did. We, we did, I think we just wanted to wrap it up. Uh, yeah. We wanted to talk about Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and I guess hmm. we can share now. Uh, the uh, final episode was going to be uh, for Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, because that that season of episode zero about the Rocky Horror Picture Show began with The Old Dark House, another yeah. James Whale film. So mm-hmm. we wanted to begin and end with James Whale, kind mm-hmm. of just bring it around full circle. Two, two, yeah. two different films that had different influences on the story, but yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls was this wild, sex-soaked romp uh, done mm-hmm. by Russ Meyer, uh, fam- rather infamously written by Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was... Just this complete brazen showbiz melodrama with a lot of nudity, a lot of sex, and a lot of other twisted things in it besides. And uh, it, it's sort of it, it's over sexu- overt sexuality uh, definitely bled into the cult movie scene in a big way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what a lot of cult movies at the time were all about. And the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show definitely took influence from that. It's also a film that very directly weaponized what we would now think of as camp. Uh, which yeah. is something that the Rocker Picture Show definitely took tonally, mm. I think, from uh, that movie. And um, yeah, honestly, like we, we've had a couple of requests to complete it. Maybe we could someday. I'm not sure if it's that much in demand. We were thinking about one day coming back to it and doing the prehistory of the Matrix. Uh, which would be fun. The issue with that is uh, a lot of what influenced the Matrix came from Star Wars, and we've already covered the things that influenced Star Wars. That would probably be a shorter one, so that we did discover all the same material. I think we've probably done like maybe 10 or 12 episodes of that. Mm -hmm. But um, there's definitely stuff we could have done. I think there's a lot of anime we could have talked about, a lot of martial arts cinema in particular, uh, certain more... uh, Wusha uh, stuff. Well, there's also more like heady sci-fi material. Uh, maybe more Philip K. Dick kind of stuff, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a project we really really like, and we are constantly coming up with projects we really really like, <laughs> and we don't have time to do the projects we're doing now. In case we, you haven't we're, noticed, we're, we're we're always struggling to fit bar- everything into our schedule, barely stumbling over the finish line every week. Yeah. So as much as I would love to go back to episode zero, I would love to go back and do a lot of things. Um, unfortunately, the podcasts are not the only thing we have to fit into our lives. Hmm. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to take that back. Fortunately, they're not the only things we have to fit into our lives. We have things like family and friends up, up. and other and other aspirations as well. Uh, so while this is very important to us and we love doing what we do and we do as many podcasts as we do because we like working and we like talking to each other and we like sharing cinema with, with all of you wonderful people. Uh, sometimes projects will come and go. Hmm. Uh, so uh, if we get a lot of demand, if people just really want us to crank out the last two episode zeros, let us know. I, we hmm. can probably do it, but um, we're, we felt pretty comfortable just letting it lay. It was a little anticlimactic, I'll grant you, but like we, we felt like the, it had mostly been covered. Yeah. I mean, we'd already done a James Whale movie. We'd already done a Russ Meyer movie. You know, We kind of just did it, but... Again, if we just wanted to talk about those movies because we like about we like those movies. Those movies kick ass, so we would totally do it, and we still could if anyone really, really wants us to. So, uh, if we get like a couple, probably won't do it, but if we get a lot, maybe. So, mm. if you if you want to leave us a comment, uh, maybe on the Patreon page if you're a patron, or if you want to send us a Twitter uh, message, we, we've gotten a few. I know a few people who are interested. Um, but um, yeah, if you're if you're one of the people who really wanted that series to conclude properly with the final two episodes, let us know and we can do it. Mm. But you know, it'll probably take us a little bit to get around to it. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on. All right, here's a letter from Seth. Hello, Seth. Hi, Seth. Um, hi, Bibs and Wits. Mm. Uh, I was listening to your Iron List of legal thrillers, oh. and I was a little taken aback that neither one of you mentioned one of my favorite courtroom thrillers. Uh, slash mysteries, Billy Wilder's adaptation of Agatha Christie's Witness for the Prosecution. I will just flat out admit I haven't seen it. I haven't seen that either. Okay, we, sure. we, we, it's, well, it's a blind spot. We missed it. We're sorry. While out in the game-changing pantheon of Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity, or Some Like It Hot, it's a very solid, taut legal thriller with a hell of a performance from Marlena Dietrich. 
I also love it because it is one of those great old movies where words are put on the screen at the end, telling the audience not to spoil the film. Oh, yeah. In fact, doing that apparently cost Marlena Dietrich an Oscar nomination, and if you see the film, you'll know why. Oh, shit. Um, it's not just Ms. Um, Ms. Dietrich's performance that excels, but also the great Charles Lawton as Tyrone Power's defense attorney, and of course, Elsa Lanchester as his put-upon put nurse. Uh, watching these two go at it on screen, the chemistry is so palpable you understand why they were together for over 30 years. Uh, however, I totally understand why it may have been forgotten. The legal thriller and drama genre is very vast. In your podcast, there was so much John Grisham discussion that <laughs> I, I, was, I was afraid Christmas with the Cranks would be brought up, maybe for a holiday list. A holiday hey, list of films to avoid. They don't sue the Cranks, so it doesn't count. Um, yeah, no, listen, we, Whitney and I love cinema, and we've seen a hell of a lot of it, and when we do these Iron Lists, I, I know there's at least a little research I try to do, like, okay, there's a couple of big ones I've never got around to, but... Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're fallible. We missed a couple of big ones. Uh, there's a couple of big legal thriller movies we didn't get around to, we couldn't make the time for, uh, we just happened to not have seen, and that's one we, unfortunately, neither of us have seen. Uh, so we missed it. You're not the only person who mentioned it. Uh, it is a film a lot of people really, really like, uh, and I do intend to get around to it. It was on my list of things to try to make time for, but that episode of The Iron List was already like a, a week late. Yeah. It was supposed to come out in May, so we just had to bite the bullet and get it done. But thank you for bringing it up, and now people know how great it is, and hopefully they'll uh, uh, be able to, uh, hopefully the recommendation hits. Hmm. Uh, we have time for one more letter? Uh, sure. Uh, okay. Here's a letter from Eric. Hello, Hi, Eric. Eric. Uh, hello, gentlemen. Hope everything is going well with you both. Over this past year, I started a little project that I'm growing quite fond of and thought including you two in it might be fun for the both of us. Okay. In 2022... I decided to start a list. Mm. I started a list that sent the whole world crying. No, um, I went back through all of the films I've seen in my life. Oh, yeah. Conveniently logged on Letterboxd and picked out my single favorite film for each year. So, for example, my favorite movie of 1989 is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, that's a great film. And my favorite movie from 1948 is Bicycle Thieves. That's a great double feature. (laughs) Where is my bike? <laughs> Back in time, dude. Uh, I, Bill and Ted just stealing the guy's bike. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no, the bully got away. Quick, get that guy's bike. <laughs> oh, no, the sad guy. No, my bicycle. Uh, then I collected all of these films and put them in a list sorted by chronolo- chronological order of release date and discovered that between the years of 1920 and 2022, mm. I've seen films from 87 unique years. Okay. Now, my list won't be complete until I've seen a film from every year between 1920 and 2022. Uh, so today I'm asking for recommendations. Okay. Below you will find a list of the years that I still haven't seen a film from. Got it. I would be honored if you two could each recommend a film from a couple of these years so I can watch them and add them to my list. If you can think of anything from these specific years, any recommendations are welcome. I'm always down to watch what you guys recommend. I trust okay. you both of your judgment equally. Hopefully this is a fun topic and doesn't create a bunch of dead airtime. Well, we, if we, I can edit it if it takes us a minute. Right. I so appreciate you two taking the time to create all the content you do from a fellow lover of film, Eric. All right, what are your so, uh, the years are 25 to 30. So 1925 to 30, okay. Uh, 36, 38, 45 to 47, 49, 56, 62, and 69. <laughs> <Dude>. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, uh, it's, a, it's a Bill and Ted reference. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's see here. Now, again, we don't need to come up with the best things ever. No, so recommended films from each what, of these years. Do you want to start at the top uh, and work your way down, or start at the bottom and work your way up, and we can, like, uh, meet in the uh, middle? Uh, I'll start at the top, and you start okay. at the bottom, so... Okay, I'll, so I'll, I'll look at something from 19... So, I'll just look at well, 1925. Of, no, um, you, you start with 1969. I'll start oh, with 1925. Oh, that, that bottom. Yeah. Got it. Okay, 1969. And so we're just going to... Again, we're not going to pick our favorite film. We're just going to pick a film we can mm-hmm. solidly recommend... All from right. any of these years. And yeah, we're using the internet to help us reminder because yeah, we, we that's a lot of films to remember the release date uh, okay, on. So. so uh great films from nineteen twenty five that I can recommend right okay. away. Uh Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Yeah, the original on Chaining. That's great a great movie. one. Yeah. Battleship Potemkin mm. came out in nineteen twenty five. And uh The Unholy Three. Oh, the, uh, also yeah, a, great movie. A Lon Chaney yeah. film uh, done by Todd Browning. That's a really fun one. Uh, let's uh, see. And yeah. other, other good ones besides. Uh, let's see. 1969. Uh, I would highly recommend the original Italian job starring oh, yeah, Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Cowboy starring uh, John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. 
I know, John Voight, but it's still a good movie. Yeah. Uh, the original Butch... No, there was a sequel. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The original is not that weird thing to say. Um, I'm trying to think. We just saw Cactus Flower. That was from 1969. That oh, was yeah. a good movie. Um, let me see if I can think of like one more that might be... Uh, like an interesting 1960. Oh, The Wild Bunch. There you go. 1969. Boom. Okay. The Wild Bunch. All right. I'm going to 1962. Uh, I'm going to 1926. Uh, the The General came out in 1926. The Buster oh, Keaton. Yeah. Movie. See great. the General. That's one of the great. best movies um, ever. F.W. Manow did a great version of Faust that year. Mm. Uh, the very first animated feature film, or at least the one that survives, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed by mm. uh, Lottie Reininger oh, yeah. came out that year. Yeah, it's the first one that survives. There, yeah. there's, there are others allegedly, but we haven't seen um, them. I haven't seen a lot of other films from 1926. Okay, mm. um, what do you got from... All right, let's see. Here. we got 1962, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, Those gosh, are yeah. two, of the, two of the biggest uh, uh, films of the middle of the decade. I'm trying to think if there's anything maybe uh, a little more, like, fun than maybe those ones which are awesome, but maybe might feel a little bit like work. Uh, let's see. The Music Man. That's a very, very fun musical. Oh, there you go. Definitely worth checking out. Um, and yeah, that'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and whatever happened to baby Jane? Oh, a, yeah. Speaking of bleak, that's a great horror oh, that's movie. That's wonderful. All right. Let's, um, okay. 27, we're getting into films that were nominated for best picture. So these yeah. are the things I'm a little bit more familiar with. Yeah. Uh, 1927. Also Fritz Lang's Metropolis came out that year. Yeah. One of the best um, sci-fi films ever. Sunrise is one of the best films ever made. Yeah. Uh, the, the very, uh, sunrise and wings, uh, mm. both won best picture. And those are both definitely worth seeing. They're both yeah. really great. And if you've ever heard the term, uh, it girl, Oh, to yeah. refer to like a, a young starlet who's kind of on her way up, somebody who's like in the moment. Mm. Uh, that's referring to Clara Bow from a movie called It, which yeah. is not about a killer killer clown. <laughs> it is sort of like a just that that undes- indescribable appealing quality that some people have. And Clara Bow had It, so she was in a movie. Yeah, she was it. truly epic movie star, like absolutely yeah, yeah. star power. Uh, hated, like you wouldn't hated believe. the sound era, and uh, yeah, some might say. Uh, her career was a, a horrendous victim of you know, just sexism and abuse. But yeah, you know. uh, let's see here. Uh, for, so next up, I got 1956. Uh, I'm not going to do a too deep a dive on here, uh, but I will recommend Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Okay. Uh, which is actually one of his more fun movies. It's actually a heist film. Uh, that's the year Forbidden Planet came out, another one of the great sci-fi films. Also, the serial killer film The Bad Seed. Oh, which that's is a fun movie. Super creepy, yeah. like a little, little, uh, really straining at the edge of the production code there. So definitely check that one out. Let's see. It came out Let's in twenty eight. Forty nine. I'm looking up nineteen twenty eight here, and I'm not seeing a lot that I'm actually super familiar with, mm. apart from Steamboat Willie. Um, um, well, it's not a feature though. That's, yeah, it's not uh, a feature film. That's a yeah. short. Uh, I mean, I mean, a fine short. Um, yeah. Not the first film with sound. Don't let Disney trick you. No. Have they know. actually said that? They have. They tried oh to claim. God. They stopped saying it. They Good. stopped. But for a long time, they tried to, to sort of sell Christ. sell that. All the all the fucking things. Yeah, the, the, um, the temerity of them. I. You know what? Twenty eight. I'm kind of drawing a blank here. I will. I will check twenty eight in a second when I am done checking all out right. 1949, uh, which actually isn't a great year for me either. Now that I'm looking mm. at it, <laughs> um, I've seen a few things here. Nothing. I'm. Oh, like, you, nothing's you know what, really jumping. You know out what came out in 1928? Unchain There you go. Came out in 1928. Great uh, oh, and, and of course, Passion of Joan of Arc. Oh, we, we just talked about, about that. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. That's I a see, great one. Definitely see the Passion of Joan of Arc. That one came out in 28. Yeah, awesome movie. Um, let's... Oh, and Speedy, the uh, the Harold Lloyd comedy. I haven't seen that one. All right, yeah, okay. it's, it's fallen. Uh, let's see here for nineteen forty nine. Uh, I got, I got a few fun ones here. Uh, I would recommend uh, White Heat, starring James Cagney, one of the great gangster movies of all time. All right. uh, really fun early uh, Don Siegel uh, crime thriller called The Big Steel, starring Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer, uh, and an early uh, sci-fi epic called Mighty Joe Young, which is uh, yeah. basically a ripoff of King Kong, yeah, but yeah. it's done by the same people trying to evoke the same thing. There was a remake in the 90s with Charlize Theron and Bill Paxton. Uh, mm. Worth checking out. Yeah. Uh, 29. Okay. Uh, the Man Who Laughs. 
Love the man who laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, GW Pabst Pandora's box with Louise Brooks. That's a really good one. And mm-hmm. uh, Man with a Movie Camera is oh. a, a pretty pretty important movie. It's very experimental though. Don't walk in expecting something even it's, remotely conventional. It's basically it's, a, it's like a, a an elaborate found footage, montage. Yeah, kind of yeah. documentary type of a thing. Uh, just but it, like a whole feature. Yeah, uh, we actually just recently talked about 1947 in our podcast. Uh, Only the best, where we talk about the best uh, picture nominees of any given year. Uh, and among them uh, was The Bishop's Wife, which is, which is a very sweet uh, Christmas movie starring mm. Cary Grant, David Niven, and Loretta Young. Uh, also, Crossfire was a very good murder mystery with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of topicality to it. Definitely worth checking out. Let's see. Oh, here's a one. This movie makes me cry like nobody's business. The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Starring Gene yeah. Tierney and Rex Harrison about a woman who moves into a house that's haunted by the ghost of an old sailor, and they fall in love, but it cannot be because he's dead and she's not. So. Uh, it's really, really, really sweet mm. and really sad. Uh, the lady from Shanghai is, if you can get past Orson Welles' not particularly good Irish accent, a very, very good film noir. Uh, what? It's, it's impeccable. <laughs> sure, sure. The the Lucky Charms guy is more on the is more on the yeah. nose than Orson Welles. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a good one. What do you got next? Uh, I have 1930 here. Okay. Um, uh, your film education isn't complete until you've seen All Quiet on the Western Front. I yes. Think that's that's one, one of the, the best, best movies, movies ever. One of um, the best movies ever made, uh, no it's doubt. It's also, also the same year as Animal Crackers, one of the better oh. uh, Marx Brothers movies. That is a very good uh, Marx Brothers movie, yeah. Uh, what else from 1930? Um, Let's see. The Blue Angel came out in 1930. I don't know that one. The Marlena Dietrich movie. I never saw that. Okay. Um, let's uh, see. I haven't seen Dumbo. Mm. Uh, uh, let's see here. Over in 19... Where are we? 1946. A lot of great classic movies came out in 1946, including The Best Years of Our Lives, Ooh. which is one of the best movies ever made. It's a Wonderful Life, which is one of the best movies ever made. Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. Which is one of the best films ever made. <laughs> and I wouldn't call it one of the best films ever made, but it's one of the better film noirs. Uh, Lana Turner and John Garfield and The Postman Always Rings Twice. Oh, uh, it's one yeah. of those movies. Another one that's like that's, really... That's one I've been meaning to get to. Yeah, that's one of those ones where uh, the sex was so good we had to kill somebody. And that's kind of a hard <laughs> genre to pull off in the production code. So uh, you know, it feels like they're really straining against what they can do. But it is very yeah. steamy and very, very good for what they what they had there. See, uh, um, see, next on my list was 1936. Ah. Uh, Modern Times, mm. uh, definitely. Uh, Fritz Lang's Fury. Yeah. Um, I love to sing. Uh, Ken- <laughs> that's, a, that's a short, but yeah. That's a short. Uh, Kenji Mizoguchi's Osaka Elegy is a really interesting film about a woman who's sort of forced into marriage. Frank Capra's Mr. Deeds Goes to Town came out that year. Mm. And uh, Swing Time, one of the better uh, oh, Stair yeah. Rogers musicals is in there. Um, uh, Dodsworth was a really fun one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, wait. Hmm. Sorry, I wasn't thinking, of, not Doddsworth. I was thinking of Ruggles Red Gap. Doddsworth's okay. Doddsworth yeah. is fine. Yeah. Ruggles Red Gap, you gotta see. That movie's funny. Yeah. That movie's still to this day very, very, very Oh, and Todd funny. Browning's The Devil Doll came out in 1936. I've never seen another that. Is Todd that good? Brown, t- Another Todd Brown. Todd Browning is, is a, a weakness of mine. I like Todd Browning. I like Todd Browning, too. I just haven't seen that one, so I wasn't sure if that one was good or not. Uh, let me see here. So next up, I have got 19... 19- 45. Oh, there's a lot of great stuff to choose from in 1945. Mm. Uh, I'm going to recommend, amongst uh, other things you could totally do if you wanted to, uh, another good Christmas movie, The Bells of St. Mary's. It's one of Ingrid Bergman's Mm. most likable performances, which is saying something. Uh, Mildred Pierce, which is a very bitter uh, uh, noir. Uh, Christmas in Connecticut is one of my favorite romantic comedies. It's also one of my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, It it is not the movie you think it's going to be. I always forget that it opens with the sinking of a battleship. Like, it's, there's a lot in that movie that's, like, really just doing some interesting stuff. Uh, really awesome uh, British horror anthology called Dead of Night. Ending is mwah, Chef's Kiss. And, like, all but one of the ghost stories that they tell in it are, like, really good and genuinely creepy. That's really good. That's a great average for a horror anthology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I'm going to recommend Roberto Rossellini's Rome Open City, uh, Ooh, which okay. is one hell of a neorealist film. So yeah, you definitely got to yeah, check yeah. that out. And then uh, that was 1940. Five, and then next, I have thirty-eight, and that's the last year we got. So okay, there you go. so here we got in nineteen thirty-eight, 
uh, Robin Hood. The, that is The Adventures of Robin Hood, the yep. Michael Curtiz movie. One of the great adventure um, films. Sergei Eisenstein's Alexander Nevsky, mm-hmm. another historical epic. Uh, Marcel Kearney's Port of Shadows came out that year. That that has a nice uh, criterion. Edition. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Um, you Can't Take It With You, another Frank Capra movie. Yep, this was very funny. the height of Frank Capra's uh, career. Uh, Porky and Wacky Land, another short. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I love Porky and Wacky Land. I know Land, you do. Though. Uh, let's see, what else have I seen from 1938? Did, did Dead End come out that year? Was that Dead End? Oh, that was Boys Town? Was that up against Dead End? Boys Town, I think Boys Town did come out that year. I don't remember if that mm. was on. Boys Town's pretty good. I like Boys Town. I, I, like, I think Boys I liked it more no, than but Dead did, End was but... 37, never mind. 30, okay. All right. Um, Terminal Mills was, was big in 38, but mm. those are good. Yeah. All right, so, so there you go. Uh, yeah, there's, there's hopefully some, uh, there's some stuff for you to watch, and uh, maybe someone else will want to watch those movies too. They're all really good. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to mail us, uh, if you want us to help you with your homework, too, feel free. And this was fun, so thank you so much. Uh, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we also have a P.O. Box. If you prefer to send something in the old-fashioned way, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? I send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And again, we're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaimed. If you want to contact us like directly with something brief, uh, we're also on... I, I'm uh, at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Sarnold. If you want to go to our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, you can get a lot of exclusive shows, including our show Only the Best, where we've been doing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. And as of and as we've been going through in chronological order, we hit the 1940s and we started doing every film that's going to be nominated for Best International Feature. We just did the first ever winner of that, which was Shoe Shine, yeah, and we're Victoria about to, Seca, and we're about to cover in the next few weeks uh, the French film Monsieur Vincent, which was the second film to ever win that award. And then a few years hence, they'll actually start having nominees for it, and that podcast will balloon and will take more time to do it. But uh, that's over there. We also have shows about Star Trek, Batman, commentary tracks. We do trivia nights with our patrons. It's a lot of fun. That's Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, and I guess that's about it. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great uh, well, few more days until we do another podcast. And uh, bye and stuff. 